Hello, everyone. This is Kelly Carlin, and you're listening to Waking from the American Dream. It's Thursday. It's February. It's February. Oh, my God. It's February. Well, uh, on, on that note, um, as usual, we're just going to start with a song. Here you go. Thank you. 
modern world. That is a song called The Modern World uh, by a young man named Jazz Kalner. He is actually the son of a gentleman named Marty Kalner, who uh, was a uh, directed uh, my dad's first two HBO specials. So he's kind of part of the family. Uh, and, you know, it's funny. Every week I look for music uh, here for this show and... Uh, I, I'm always kind of, sometimes I kind of have it all lined up beforehand. And then today I was kind of scrambling, scrambling a little bit. And I remembered this song and this is like one of their first songs that I'd already, uh, that I'd heard and wanted to play on my radio show a few months ago. And then I really listened to the words today and I was like, wow, this kind of fits with what I want to talk about anyway at the beginning of my show, which is, uh, me sitting in my really cushy, lovely West Side, uh, bedroom, uh, with my, uh, air computer on my lap, uh, watching the chaos in Egypt, uh, while I tweet about it and, uh, sometimes tweeting serious things and half the time tweeting, um, you know, uh, snarky little titles of songs and things like that, like you do on the internet. But I, I wanted to, um, just talk a little bit about my experience watching Egypt unfold and the chaos of it all. And, uh, one of the things I was noticing is like there's different parts of my brain that watch this chaos unfold. There's the part of me who's just human and watching these people, uh, with enormous courage stand up against this regime. And, uh, go to the streets. Uh, and, and so there's a part of me that's just human, that's in awe of the human spirit, uh, fighting for freedom and fighting against oppression. And, um, and just, I get, you know, chills thinking about that. And, and then there's this other part of me that's the part that I think is kind of from being in the modern world and remembering what it was like watching CNN and the first Gulf War and like going, Oh my God. The war is on TV. Like I can watch it like it's a show, like it's a reality show. And I find myself sitting there, um, the other night when everything had been peaceful and all the, uh, protesting had been peaceful. And then Mubarak did that second speech and it wasn't what everyone wanted to hear. And suddenly shots were being fired and people were running. And I thought, Oh my God, you know, here's the plot point. Here's the big the turn point, turning point of the story, you know, and it was, it was like, I can't believe I was watching it like a TV viewer. So there's that part of me. And then there's, um, the, just the American part of me, which has to listen to all the American voices and everyone that has an opinion about this thing and, uh, wonder if, uh, you know, uh, what it all means and, you know, and pissed at my government for propping this guy up for 30 years and then understanding that there are all of these, uh, forces in the Middle East that they were trying to quiet, and that's why they have a dictator there. And then, you know, is it really going to be a coalition government, or is Islamic fascists going to come in? And, and all that stuff starts getting really confused in my head. So, but fascinated by Twitter and and following some people who are actually on the streets in Cairo and feeling like you're kind of living through their life and um and all of this literally while 
sipping a latte on my bed with my <laughs> my MacBook Air on my lap. It's very surreal living in the 21st century. <laughs> yes. Rick Overton actually has a uh, uh, thing he talks about a modern day liberal, you know, who our idea of protesting is hitting the send button, you know, and then blowing on our little latte, you know, and, and sipping it. So I, I kind of felt a little bit like that. Um, so anyway, it's February. Um, not, not, not quite sure how, how that happened already that a whole month has gone by and I'm, uh, frightened by that. But, uh, here we are and, uh, I'm really excited. Uh, we have, uh, I have another guest in studio today. I'm, I'm learning how to do this in studio thing, this actual live radio thing. It's very exciting. And if I can remember to turn on his microphone at the right time, it'll be a really perfect show. <laughs> He is microphone number four. I just have to remember that. Um, so what I'm going to do is, uh, well, I'll introduce him first, and then we're going to play a little clip. And then um, he and I are going to yammer our goddamn heads off um, for, I don't know, 45 minutes or so. And then we'll end the show and play another song. So my guest today is the very, very fine Mr. Dana Gould, and I'm very excited that he's here. Yay! There's there's a polite clapping going on in the background. Uh, you didn't hear it. Uh, and Dana is uh, a stand-up and uh, brilliant, and I'm listening to two of his CDs today, and um, <laughs> everything made me laugh, but especially being uh, your phobia about being in an elevator and being afraid to poop. We can talk about that later. I have phobias too. Uh, and uh, of course, he wrote for The Simpsons for many years and uh, was, uh, you know, we'll talk about that, the gilded cage of being a Simpson writer. And uh, and he does, you know, all sorts of crazy, wonderful things. So I've got a little clip here uh, from his uh, newest album, uh, which is uh, Let Me Put My Thoughts in You, which is dirty sounding. <laughs> and uh, I've got a little clip here that I'm going to play uh, called Pickup Lines and Ice Cream. I have no pickup lines left. I mean, I don't need them. Everything's fine. But even if I did, I'm so trained as a husband, I got nothing. If my wife left me tomorrow, I would just be stumbling up to women in bars so, uh, I noticed you sitting there by yourself and, uh, you know, thought you might have a list of chores and errands you wanted me to do. <laughs> it's going to be a beautiful day tomorrow. I thought I'd maybe take out the convertible, swing by your place, drive your mom to Target. You like? You like? <laughs> then she can bitch about your dad and yell at me if I agree with her. <laughs> we do have children. I have two, uh, I have two daughters. Um, they're five and four right now. So at this age, I might as well have apes. <laughs> they behave about as well as apes. But uh, my daughters are adopted. They're from China. And... Um, when we told a friend of ours we were adopting girls from China, she said, uh, are you going to teach them English? <laughs> and I said, yeah. <laughs> Have you ever done that? Somebody says something dumb, 
and you calculate how long it will take to explain and to argue and decide instead to just agree with them and then treat yourself to an ice cream sandwich. It makes life so much easier. Well, you know who caused 9-11? The gays. You're right. Man, I love ice cream sandwiches. That was Dana Gould. Uh, welcome, Dana. Welcome, Kelly. Hi. Hi there. Welcome Thanks to our little, me on. our little studio here in the uh, apartment hills of Hollywood. <laughs> the friend in that clip was my mother. And I didn't say mother on the, because that was actually taken from my, the CD was taken from my special. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I figured that she would watch it and I didn't <laughs> want to hurt her feelings. Um, but uh, it turns out they never watched it. So I could have put it on anyway. <laughs> Well, that's that's an interesting jumping off. Couldn't have been, bo- couldn't be bothered. But an interesting jumping off point because, uh, you know, ha- feeling like you need to protect your mom's feelings. Yeah. Uh, well, there was a there, there's the last bit on that special, which is not on the CD because you can't see it. Was it's a, based on a very true. This is a this is a sad story. There are no heroes in this story. Mm. Uh, when I moved to San Francisco, I was the first kid in my family to leave home. Uh, really, I mean, every, my brother went in the army, but everybody lives within two miles of where we grew up. And I was, I'm going. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the last thing my dad said to me was not like, go get him. You'll do great. I'm real proud of you. It was because I was moving to San Francisco. Well, if you're thinking of coming home queer, don't come home. Wow. <laughs> and so I do a, I close with a bit about me just becoming gay to spite him. And years go by and I'm, I end up, I'm, I'm, I live in a doghouse behind a gay bar and I'm blowing five guys at once when I hear from one of them that my dad has died. And I have a long conversation with my dad in heaven while I'm jerking off five guys. And uh, it's, it's, it's funny. It's, you got to see it. Yeah. But, <laughs> the visual uh, of the, the visual. jerking it's off like, part. I'm sorry, dad. <laughs> and uh, so I figured for the special, what I'll do is uh, I'll, I had the label Shout Factory make me one disc without that bit on it. <laughs> it was actually like a hard cut and, uh, and with, the, with everything else was the same, shrink wrapped. Right. Everything. And I was just like, here you go, dad. And, uh, he's never watched it anyway. So um, it doesn't matter. But it was like, a, there's no, uh, he wouldn't, he wouldn't, do, he wouldn't have taken that one well. Do you do you think it was easier for you because you were walking away from your family in a sense of like, okay, I'm I'm moving on beyond this. Was it easier for you to go out and do your work and be a comic and speak yeah, the truth? well, yeah, they I had literally, I mean, and this is good uh, in a good way too. My parents' approach was, we will feed you and clothe you until you're 18, mm-hmm. and then my dad's response was, join the army or join the navy, and I was like, have we met? <laughs> I'm a sissy. <laughs> and uh, so, um, I, yeah, I, I was not one of those guys that, like, my parents wanted me to be a doctor. Right. I was completely <laughs> free and clear. Yes. Go yeah. off and do what – invent yourself any uh, way yeah, you see Yeah, and fit. I ended up buying them the house they live in now. So, it, you know, it, it, it worked out. Ha! And Shoot. I just wanted them to say those three little words, son, you win. But he won't. <laughs> Yeah, those are fantasies. Yeah, those are they, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. Well, that was the old expression someone said to me once. You get to the end of the race and you find out there wasn't a race. Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and it's kind of fun and good to figure that out uh, before you get to the end of the race. Mm-hmm. You know, that it really isn't uh, this uh, big challenge and this big uh, uh, competition, actually. Or, you know, like I, I know, like for me, I always. Um, wanted my dad to, you know, know that I was okay, you know, because mm-hmm. we had a lot of strife in my family when I was young and, and he had a lot of guilt about that kind of stuff and being a, a dad that was gone a lot. And, uh, so even in my adult years, I would be, you know, uh, you know, want to be like, you know, letting him know that I'm doing good dad. I'm do-. And he would just say to me, Kelly, you're doing great. You're just doing great. Like he would want to calm me down. Like, <laughs> like, like there's no game here. You don't have to be uh-huh. pleasing me or not pleasing me or whatever, you know. So, oh, that's not, that was sweet. Oh, hello. Someone just turned off my. Uh, uh, I did. Yeah. Uh oh. <laughs> oh, there I am. Hello. That was my headsets. <laughs> it's uh, your, that's Barbara, our producer. She just came in and turned my headset off. Your tech savvy producer. Was, yes, she was producing some silence. <laughs> Actually, let me turn it down a little bit. But it is, uh, yeah. I have a very, you know, my it it's fueled everything. It's funny. Uh, uh, my relationship with my dad is so labyrinthine that mm. it ends up being the focus of everything I write. Mm. Everything I write becomes about dysfunctional parental uh, relationships, um, and uh, and it, it continues to this day. I did a pilot last year for ABC where, uh, uh, based on the false supposition that if my uh, if my father had to move in with my wife and my kids, yes, <laughs> and uh, I played me, and Brian Dennehy played my father, nice. who was perfect casting. And it was, it went great. You know, they didn't do multi-camera sitcoms last year, so they didn't pick it up. But it went great. It was a great pilot. It was really funny. Everybody was excellent. Sent it to my parents. Have them watched it. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, have you seen the pilot? No, we'll see it. We'll see it. Uh, Why know, do we need it. to see the pilot, Dana? We've lived yeah, the pilot. But it, but it literally <laughs> is just like, it's just like... Loose, it's just Charlie Brown and the football. I like, love it. Uh, uh, I'm yeah. still going to do it. Yeah, yeah, but no, sorry. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, I, it's funny, too, because I'm grappling myself all the time with uh, storytelling and the stories I want to tell. And I think that uh, parent-child relationship is, it's so deep. There's so much material in there. It's certainly universal. It Well, certainly is yeah. universal. And it's, and it just... Uh, seems I don't know. I, especially if you grew up in a dysfunctional family, yeah. and and you and I were talking about this before the whole adult child of alcoholic type mm-hmm. of thing. It's like you're you're constantly trying to figure out: Am I the child today? Am I the parent? Am I the adult? Who yeah. am I? And I'm always and even though my both my parents are dead, uh, I'm still trying to figure out who I yes. am in this relationship. I very recently, <laughs> I was talking to a uh, a mental health care professional in an <laughs> office setting. <laughs> And you were possibly exchanging money for services. I was on comfortable furniture and surrounded by earth tones. Um, but uh, I was describing my uh, father, which I oddly enough hadn't really talked about. And he was just like, got it. He was like, oh well, he was a he was a clinical narcissist. And I would, and he and he explained it. And I was like, oh my god, that explains everything. <laughs> Because it's not malignant. It's it's literally. I don't have that vision. I can only see this one thing. Yeah, it made, makes a lot of sense. I can't. You know, um, and it relieves you of something too. It's like, oh, it isn't personal. It's it, yeah, very true. It's not. Yeah, it's not me. But it it uh, it, it it must be very difficult. I remember, uh, and especially if you're the child of someone famous, because you know every parent thinks they're right all the time. 
when when you have thousands of people on a weekly basis loudly saying you are right it must be hard well i think what's hard for me is and coming out of my little shell that i'm starting to come out of you know by doing the show and doing some we other things we should just say your father was famous puppeteer senior wences yes thank you very much dana remind the world again uh but yeah you know i sat uh in audiences my whole life, right. uh, seeing thousands of people say yes to my father yeah. and all of his ideas. And then I would sit there sometimes and think, well, I don't disagree. I disagree with him on this one, or I don't see it that way. Yeah. And thinking, do I dare mention that to the world? As a, yeah. As a comedian myself, and as you know, one thing you rarely do when you walk off stage is go, those people have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Why are they full of it? Yeah, and and it's you know as my dad used to articulate, it's like I'm here for me. You know, this, you think this is about you people, but no, I'm here to express myself. Yeah. Fuck you. You know, because the, the speaking goes one way here, people. Imagine how like Jesse and Jacob Dylan feel. Like, that must just be what a cauldron. I, I can't imagine. And I've and I've recently become acquaintances, not good friends with with Lisa Marie Presley, mm-hmm. and I think about her um, and like you know it's one thing like people worship my father but people like dress worship her father and, and like dress up as her father yeah, exactly. many of them in las vegas you yeah know? yeah yeah and and they go and visit his home and and i think i can't even imagine that level of it it's yeah. it's it's so myth it's so mythological to me it's it's crazy um one thing i wanted to know was so you left uh, you what you went to college? Yeah, I went to the I went to the University of Massachusetts, but I basically was that was just a place to go to not be home while I did open mics. Uh, <laughs> it's really true. And, and when I ran out of money after half two years, and uh, I just quit and started doing stand. And, and well, I didn't start doing stand up. I I quit, and I only had to have a day job for about a year, that's and fantastic. then I was a pretty much a year, maybe two, maybe two, and I was stand up working. And what gave you that? And I mean, like other people in your family didn't go off into the arts and entertainment world, I'm guessing. So you, there you were. And yeah, I, I'm very, very lucky in, in a way because I, I, I really did know what I want to do from, a, you know, by the time I was 14, mm. 13, 14, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. Wow. I wanted to be a comedian. And it was right around the time that the, you know, Steve Martin was at his peak and, and, um, and I just, you know, it was a, I really am very grateful for it because it got me out of my little hometown, my little town in Massachusetts where I grew up, and it right. got me out to California. And and as I and throughout my life, um, we were talking about this before. I you know I'm also a writer, mm-hmm. but I always end up going back to do stand up. Right. And and it's I don't consider myself a, a guy that wrote on The Simpsons that was a comedian. Also, I'm I'm the comedian that wrote on the Simpsons or I'm the comedian. That's also a writer. Right. Um, it's sort of the nuclear rod that powers everything else I do. Um, and what, and what does that give you that having that perspective that I am the standup who happens to also do this? Well, the great thing is in, you know, because when you're an actor and when you're right, and I'm not telling you anything, you don't know when, you know, when you're an actor or a writer, your life is asking people to let you do what you want to do. Yep. It's- and stand up for me, it's it's one the thing I do the best of my skills, mm-hmm. and I don't have to ask people to let me do it. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it it's and you can't underestimate 
the importance of just doing what you do. Yeah. And, 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 and I always go back to that. My friend Kevin Rooney calls it turning into the skid. <laughs> I always, you know, I always end up going back to, going back to doing that. And, and that always, um, uh, reaffirms like your, who I am and what I do. And, right. Yeah. Right. And, and as a stand up, do you, um, steel material? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. I, well, just as a total aside, but what do you think? Did you listen to Mark Marin's podcast this yes, week about I, Gallagher? Oh, no, I haven't heard it this week. No, I, I haven't listened to it either. Have, have you heard anything about that? Does he interview oh, Gallagher? He does, and Gallagher storms out halfway through. Really? Yes. Because they start, uh, they start. He just, didn't go melon crazy. He went crazy crazy. <laughs> crazy. Yeah, because I guess they disagree about what's funny and what isn't. And, you know, Mark can be very passionate and intense yeah. and pushing and everything. But uh, Gallagher, so I... Uh, that's his job. That's his job. Yeah. Exactly. And um, so my my aim to, today is to try to get you to storm out of your <laughs> I'm not like... I'm going to try... One of the many ways I'm like Gallagher. And I'm so like Mark Maron. <laughs> yeah. I, I sold my act to my brother. I'm just like Gallagher. <laughs> But as a comedian, oh, that's really interesting, isn't it? That's really nuts. I know, and I haven't, I haven't listened. I haven't had time this week, but I do want to listen to it. And everyone else out there, you should listen to yeah, it too. It's, it's a great show. I was, uh, a, yeah. I was, I'm really, I've known Mark forever. Uh, Mark and Louis and I were all in Boston and starting out at the same time. Um, I actually, was, I'm a little bit ahead of those guys, um, and uh, a little bit. And uh, it's to, it's great to see people because it's like being in the army. I've known them. Both. I think I met Louis when he was 17. Wow. And I was 19. Mm. Um, and to see people like, still around, still doing it. Yeah. You lived. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you. It's like being at the end of the war. Hey, I saw you. I <laughs> saw met- you when we got off the boat. Great to see you. <laughs> we made it home. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's really nice. And, and, uh, and it's, it's exactly what we were just talking about. You know, everybody goes off and you, and you have these divergent paths. But you always go back to the thing that you do. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the thing that separates uh, people like Mark and Louie and, 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 and me if, if, is that uh, we all, n- none of us used stand-up to get to someplace right. and then put it behind us. Right, the sitcom lottery. Right. It's a, it wasn't like... It's like an eight by ten that talks. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. And in the eighties, yeah. that's very much what it was yeah. here in the, in the early nineties yeah. too. Yeah. It's, it's funny. You know, I, um, when you gr- like growing up watching my dad's career, it all seemed perfectly logical to me because it just unfolded. And I thought, well, that's easy. It just happens like that, you know? Yeah. And then when I, when he started telling me more about, who he was and you know what his ambitions were as a kid he didn't really stand up for him was supposed to be a stepping stone into yeah. the movies for him yeah you know and i he wanted and I, to be danny k i know and i always find that so ironic that um it actually became the art form that really well certainly completely defined him and really was one that he defined also for the yeah. culture in some ways you know absolutely and i didn't know that until only recently when i read um the hendra book yeah and um uh, it was it was surprising because I had all I had often held <clears throat> excuse me I'd often held your father up as an example of like no that's he does that that's what I do you right know, the the other the person whose career I really admire and 
pattern mine after. Uh, is not a comedian, but I, I, I use as an example Tom Waits. Mm-hmm. Because like, here's a guy who absolutely does exactly what he wants to do. It allows him to do other things, but he never abandons what he does. Yeah. You never see too much of him, so you never really get sick of him. Right. And you always know when his name is on something that it's not going to be crap. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and that was really That's like, cool. that was like, that's the way to do it. Cause the, it's not like you, it's like, not like he was never as big as Duran Duran, but he's never on any, where are they now specials? <laughs> Cause he never came and went away. He's yeah. always just did, did what he did. Yeah. He's, he's an, uh, you know, there's that fine line between artist and entertainer, mm-hmm. You know, and artists certainly can be entertainers, certainly, but there's yeah. something that happens when the zeitgeist and the culture gets a hold of these people and lifts them to yeah. that place, and then they become an object right. for us to worship and to tear down and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And and like you said, and then there's these people who who just show up and do their work. You know, they clock in and they clock right. clock out every day, and they and they do their work and. uh and yeah, you know, I, I like I know for me, like in the the late '90s, I started finding my voice as a writer and as a storyteller, telling personal essays, and mm-hmm. I did a one woman show. And um, and you had it doubly hard because not only did you have to find your own voice, you also had to actively avoid a voice. Yes, <laughs> yeah, that's not to be underestimated. Yeah, and, it, and it's it's still a dance I'm doing. Yeah, you know? I mean, and and, I'm, and now that I'm getting even more exposure, I'm finding there's some people out there, fans who aren't happy with my voice. I don't know exactly what they want me to be or do, but that's tough. It, yeah, it's a little weird. Yeah, but but I know that like I went and then what have I did my show and it felt great to do my show, but it actually rubbed up against my, my relationship with my dad in a certain way because he was uncomfortable with it. It was very autobiographical. It was completely autobiographical right. and he was mentioned. You in should it. have done it on Shout Factory because they would have burned you a DVD. <laughs> with, they would have cut it all out. <laughs> Just cut out the scene where I talk sh- about the drug addiction. It it and everything. And it would have been fine then. Exactly. <laughs> That's oh damn you! You would have saved me like a decade, Dana, if I'd only known you then. Avoid it. Avoid the confrontation. <laughs> but it's funny because I, I went up ended up going to grad school, which was something I was really happy to do and uh-huh. was excited. Where to, did you go? I went to a place called Pacifica Graduate Institute in mm-hmm. Santa Barbara, yep. and it's uh, depth depth psychology and um, Joseph uh, Campbell's archives are on the right. campus. So for me, it was like literally a temple because <laughs> so right. I just love that stuff. And I was introduced to him at a young age, um, actually through my mom and my dad. So I went to grad school and I loved it and I loved depth psychology. And I it was actually, uh, I got my master's in counseling psychology. I'm a really good therapist because I had been one since I was three years old yeah, in my yeah. family. So, but yes, yes. <laughs> crazy. And, and yet, um, when I got out of there, it was like, I thought, oh, I'll be, I'll be a therapist now and I'll sit down and I'll heal people. And I'm sitting in rooms with people and it was all lovely and wonderful. And I love that work. And yet the whole time I kept saying, yeah, but I really just want to be standing on a stage and saying, fuck you world. And, and it was that kind of thing. It was like, oh, I guess I can't, I can't turn my back on this. Like this storytelling and this writing and this wanting to be on a stage thing, uh, is just in me. Uh, and it's, I can't ignore it. You know, it's, you know, it's really difficult. Um, I, I don't have that issue, but I also know Ben Stiller very well. I've mm-hmm. known him for a long time. And to be able to separate that sort of Gordian knot of 
you know, I'm trying to be who I am and, and to have the fulfillment of it's your job to <laughs> create your identity and, and, but, and yeah, as an adult on the right. planet. Yeah. And it's so great when you don't have to be competing with your parents to do it. Yes. And, and to constantly have that love, that hum of comparison, it, 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 it can only be so difficult. Well, I can't imagine. And, how. and grad school was great because, um, I was off the hook for that. Like I, yeah. I entered this world of like sacred psychology and, you know, all this like really luscious kind of, uh, art forms, you know, we could do art projects for classes and, and it was just this really amazing, amazing immersion in the theories of depth psychology and Jung and Campbell and mythology and all of that. And yeah, and I was just who I was there and there was no competing. And right. yet when I, and, and which was great, it was like, yes, I'm off the hook. I don't have to worry about the entertainment world again. And then I get out and I'm like, yeah, but I still want to be on a stage, yeah. you know? And so I had to like <clears throat> kind of face this. You have to destroy them twice. Yes, you do. Yeah. You absolutely do. Pete Townsend tells a story about how he basically put his father out of business. Uh, his father was in a band, uh, a big band, and it would travel around England and play in dance halls. And it was the advent of the sort of that Pete Townsend's generation of musicians and what happened to the record industry right. that put his father out of work. <laughs> he literally just like put his dad out of work. It's it's it is like that the generational thing. I mean, yeah. you stand on the shoulders of the last generation, and yet at the same time, you do have to kind of destroy it in order to reinvent it. Yes. And, and I, I look at my kids now, and I know they're scheming. Oh, yeah, already. They're sizing me up for yeah. a coffin. They're thinking of ways to disappoint you and break your heart. <laughs> they, well, they, <laughs> and, and since you have girls, oh, they yeah, will. Oh, they'll, <laughs> since you're I a know. daddy. <laughs> it's so true. Um, uh, one thing I wanted to, to talk about was uh, – the, you know, really balancing living in LA here and being in the business, how do you balance and stay sane with all of the complete and total bullshit? That Clearly is- you don't know me. <laughs> <laughs> because, well, I, I, I don't know you that well, but when we've met, I'm thinking, wow, really normal, grounded, great guy, you know, and you seem to have your head on your shoulders. Hard earned. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and so how did you earn that? How did you, what did you have to go up against and, and deal with? Uh, well, it's funny. I, I've said this before. I, I meet people that I knew before I was 30 and I just apologize <laughs> and walk away. I've said that a lot. I've said that often and I mean it. I was, well, Barbara knew me. I, I was... Crazy, is it? Can you? She's shaking her yeah. head. And uh, and uh, I had, you know, in my twenties, I went through. I mean, I was, I mean, I was not raised by alcoholics. I was from the planet of alcoholics. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know anybody that was older than me who wasn't an alcoholic. Right. My siblings, my parents, and all their friends and our relatives. Right. It was just middle of Massachusetts, blue collar Irish working people. Yep. Um, and so, and I just was, I didn't know how to exist socially. And I, and I learned everything the hard way. And I had several crashing breakdowns mm-hmm. along the way. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but fortunately, I, uh, I was able to piece myself together in, in a way that was, uh, I started when I was young enough. Yeah. That 
by the time I got my crap together, I wasn't too old to put it into effect. Right, right. You could actually had life to live and right. you could and had opportunity and, mm-hmm. and things like that. Like I met my wife when I was 30. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have been able to have even dated her had I met her a year and a half earlier because yeah. it just wasn't together enough. And what did you have to like let go of? expectation wise or, or belief in, in order to kind of find that more grounded sense of yourself and to, and to be part of this crazy business. Yeah. Well, it's a lot of, you know, in terms of like the, the, the three prong, the three tiered prong of it is like, you know, killing your parents without murdering your parents, right? Learning how to have a boundary with them, Mm -hmm. you know, and uh, I haven't slept under the same roof as them in 1994, which is a little promise I made to myself. <laughs> but, it, but it's, you know, it's really good. Um, uh, Although you bought them that roof. Yes. And when I go there, they have to sleep in the yard. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but that's a promise I made that I have to keep. Yes. Um, but I, uh, you know, I, to to be able to have a boundary with them mm-hmm. and and not to let them you know, and, and with the world, you know, and with the world. Right. And then to give, learn how to give myself a break a little bit. Yeah. Um, because as, you know, children who have to do their own parenting tend not to be good parents <laughs> yeah. to themselves. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and, and then it was, and then it comes, the other part of it is coming full circle of, and, and, and that took, that was harder, but not letting, the business define you, mm-hmm. you know, and, yeah. and I do that specifically because of stand up. Like I, I'm not as successful as, as many of my peers, but I feel that I'm good. Right. And that, that that's respected and that's enough for me. You know, it's, I, I'm, I'm the most sort of disconnected and, and crappy I felt since that time was when I was on the Simpsons and I really didn't get to perform much just mm-hmm. because of hours in the day. And when I would go on at Lago or something, I, I could really feel like I was completely phoning it in and was really rusty. And I just wasn't, you know, I was a six. Yeah. You know, and you, that was the worst. Yeah. That I felt that made me feel worse than anything. That was when I, I got fat and just like, bleh. yeah. Yeah. Because you're, you're, you're not living up to your own personal yeah, standards you're not honoring and yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I found that when I, and then when I left the show specifically to kind of go back and do that the pounds just melted away. Isn't and that's what it's really all about. Well, because you look fantastic. As I say about my children, as long as they're pretty, we don't care. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're raising them right. <laughs> Clearly. They literally live in a house of mirrors. They will fit in perfectly in this town. And I don't, you know, but but that's like, I, I continue to pray, please let this goddamn tattoo fad go away before they're older. Yes. You know, please. And I and I just see these with, like, with sleeve tattoos. I was like, that's, that, you can't get rid of that. I know. I just think of the 85-year-old arm with that on it. Yeah. Well, I, I think the big money is the big money plastic surgery procedure in about 20 years is doctors hoisting girls' <laughs> whale tails back up over their waistband. <laughs> <laughs> 
Because you know that's going to start to submerge. Yes. <laughs> the tramp stamp is disappearing. Yeah. It's going under. <laughs> we cannot find it in your crack. It's, a, it's uh, yeah. There's there's a lot of that, and you know, I, I consider myself sort of a young with it guy but uh you know they're never gonna wear sweatpants with juicy on the bum yeah i was you know i was somewhere the other day and some uh, nice lovely middle-aged woman and i'm a middle-aged woman so i'm okay with that but she was you know clearly over 25 right. and she had some she was wearing something and there was writing on her ass you know some kind of thing and i just just like Wow, like we have to read the writing. So you know yeah. we have to look at your ass. Yeah. I mean, is it is it socially acceptable to say, would you please stop moving around? I'm trying to read your ass. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and usually thank God the letters and the font is big enough yeah. that you can read it. It's Julie, not like a paragraph. <laughs> what is that? And why oh juicy. I'm sorry. I thought you were making some I, sort of remark. I thought your ass was juicy. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's it's really it's it's uh it's really Sad, and and this way, you know, we we I raising kids in L.A. You know, you don't. There's so many terrible Ugh. traps to fall into, and and we really, really, yeah, work hard to give them a very normal. You know, That's we live good. in the valley. Yes, that was intentional because <laughs> I, I I wanted them to know kids whose parents were not necessarily. Oh. Lawyers or agents or in the business, you know. Well, I, I grew up in the Palisades in Brentwood and went to Crossroads. I mean, I had the full-on right. West Side Hollywood right. experience. And I live in Westchester now by LAX and have lived there now for 17 years. And it's like so normal and yes. it's maybe RFD there and everything. And whenever I have to go back into Brentwood for a lunch or something, I drive down San Vicente and I just, first of all, A, observe how people are driving around me. Mm -hmm. how these people on the West side truly believe they are the center of the universe. They have no idea there are other cars around them and they just walk around in the universe that way. And I used to, and I thought to myself, I think I was one of these people for a while. But you didn't Brentwood and the Palisades sort of become Brentwood yes. quote unquote during your yes. like teen years. Cause it, but, the Palisades was just a sort of a, but it was I, not a showbiz neighborhood in but, the 60s. But I was hang, no, but I was I I I'm your age. I was born in 63. Right. So late 70s I was in high school going to Crossroads. I mean, I would go to yeah. Mike Metavoy's house. He was uh, ran UA, uh, United yeah. Artists at the time. And we would get in the jacuzzi and Mikhail Barishnikov would be there with us. You oh, know, like this was our <laughs> you know, and nuts. then the parents would leave and we would steal Dom Perignon out of the refrigerator. It was insane. It yeah, was, that is there crazy. was no boundaries. It was very bad and evil, <laughs> but really fun too. Because I just I don't I I guess knowing your parents' image, that's a clashing image. It was totally and so yeah, total mixed messages going yeah. on. Because my dad was the counterculture hero, and yet he, he lived in he, the Palisades. He, we lived in Brentwood in the Palisades, yeah. and he bought me a BMW for my sixteenth birthday. Right, you know, and I had a horse ranch. Yeah, you know, I mean, you right. know, because he was he was a human, and he was so, yeah. Well, that's it. He was a two dimensional. He was a two dimensional character and a three dimensional person. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And he was he was a guilt a guilt ridden father who was just well, just give her whatever she wants. Yeah. You know, and uh, that. 
that doesn't work. That, uh, that's, a te- that's, actually, <laughs> that's a terrible way to do it, actually. Yeah, that's it's. Actually, it, I, I, I know where that comes from. Yeah, my, that was my parents' approach with my younger sister, and it's. Yeah, and it, yeah. and it's it's understandable, but you know when you reach she's mid- a wreck. When you reach your mid thirties, it's a little there's some reckoning to deal with at that <laughs> yeah. point. Basically, yeah. psychologically, definitely. Yeah, it's really funny because my kids are. They go to school with Will Ferrell's son, mm-hmm. uh, my daughter and my middle daughter and Will Ferrell's son are in the same class. And uh, she goes, Daddy, you're on TV, but not everybody knows you. Magnus's dad, sometimes people take their picture, so we don't have to deal with that. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, we might one day. What are you saying? <laughs> to hell with you. Don't you put limits on me. <laughs> Well, it, it is. It's. It's. I think if you could just walk around and know how surreal it really is. I mean, I, I, that's what I was when my dad first died. Uh, because we didn't have. I mean, except for crossroads and going through all this stuff. My life has never been about really the scene or Hollywood or anything. No. And my dad didn't have like Hollywood parties and stuff like that. So, but when my dad died, all these people started calling me and coming into my life, and. Um, and I would have these moments where, well, well, it was yeah, like you guys could have lived anywhere. Oh, completely you anywhere. Could have lived in Butte, Montana. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And 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 yet nowadays, like I'm friends with certain people and people who I like have great respect for, you know, comedians and actors and things like that. And it is, it's just so surreal to like think like there's this person I have lunch with, and then there's this person who's worshipped by America, yeah. and and to really have to hold the reality of that, like. You know, like it is all illusion and it is a real human at the same time. And and just to have this sense of humor and space about it all the time. Yeah. And it's weird when you meet your heroes. I have a I have a a very bizarre story about it's like, you know, you, you never want to like befriend your heroes mm-hmm. ever. It's they will disappoint. Well, you. They, they'll disappoint you unless they're, they're unless your hero is Donald Duck, because then he's, <laughs> he's not real. You know, they're all real people. And if your hero is Donald Duck, yeah. I'm a little worried about <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I was, uh, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Plan 9 from Outer Space. I know the movie. Yeah. If you ever saw the movie Ed Wood, the Tim Burton. Oh, movie. yes, yes, okay. yes. Uh, well, in the movie Ed Wood, it tells the story of how this sort of young director, Ed Wood, befriended Bela Lugosi mm-hmm. in the, towards the end of his life. There was another character in the movie, this woman, Vampira, who was uh, a, a television star in the late mid-50s in Los Angeles. She was the first person to ever host horror movies. Mm-hmm. And she sort of defined what we now call goth. She sort of invented that I remember look her, in the 50s. yes. Mm-hmm. Um, she was in Plan 9 from Outer Space. I was a crazy fan of hers from that movie and uh, and ended up interviewing her for a little documentary I made on horror movie hosts in the mid-90s for the Sci-Fi Channel and became her friend and basically relived the movie Ed Wood. I ended up completely <laughs> taking care of her wow. for the last 15 years of her life. Wow. And you see... You don't want to meet your heroes because it was like, oh, God. Yeah. You know, pedestals. Not only do you not want to meet your heroes, you don't want to pay to cremate your heroes. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I can tell you. I think that's a new bumper sticker, Dana. Don't pay to cremate your heroes. Well, you know, on that note, we are out of time, actually. <laughs> I did not intend to take it there. I, I'm so sorry. No, I, I like that ending. It's, it's, <laughs> it fits with my completely strange mind. 
Yeah. Thank you so much. And, and we ne- and, and we never got to the phobias about um, being oh, by, being locked yeah. in the elevator my because bidet. you're, you're going to poop. Dealt with that earlier today. <laughs> well, Dana, thank you so much for coming. What are you going to say when the elevator door? Oh yeah, there was poop here, but I just got on. It's just two floors. <laughs> <laughs> no, they know it's you. <laughs> but they never talk about they it. Talk the rescue guys like. never yeah. talk about it. Thank God. There's no well, way out of that one. Okay. Well, Dana, hey, God don't. help you if it's a woman. <laughs> what are you doing later? Okay. On, now, right. on that note, on that then, note, yeah. Uh, thank you, everyone. I uh, just want to plug a few things. I'm going to be at the Conscious Life Expo February 13th telling some stories. I'm going to be in Mill Valley uh, February 26th. And I think uh, Dana's going to be up in San Francisco next weekend. Doing- I'm going to be in San Francisco the uh, 11th and 12th performing at the Punchline. And uh, if you have a television set, no. I will be on the Conan O'Conan show on the 10th. Go, go. Thank you, Dana. Thank you, Barbara. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Johnny. And we're going to go out with a little song called uh, Enlightenment by my dear friends, uh, Travis Shook. Thank you. Sometimes it's music, strange mathematics, rhythmic equation. The sound of thought is enlightenment. Enlightenment. The magic light of tomorrow. Tomorrow backwards. Backwards. Others of sadness. Others of sadness. Forward and onward. Forward and onward. Others of gladness. Others of gladness. Enlightenment is my tomorrow. My tomorrow. It has no planes of sorrow. My invitation, I do invite you, I do invite you, you of my space, you of my space. Work. The song is sound of enlightenment, enlightenment. The space fire truth is enlightenment, vibration, vibration. Sent from the space, from space are the cast, are the cast, starry dimension, enlightenment is my tomorrow, my tomorrow. It has no plane. Of sorrow, of sorrow, hereby, hereby, my invitation, my invitation, I do invite you, I do invite to you, be of my space, of my space, hereby, hereby, my invitation, my invitation, I do invite you, I do invite you, to be of my space, of my space, hereby, hereby, my invitation, my invitation, I do invite you, I do invite you, to be of my space, of space. This has been a production of Smodco Internet Radio. Sir, only at Smodcast.com. <laughs>